This is The Guardian. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Moviegoers flocked to cinemas last weekend for the highly anticipated release of two of the year's biggest films, Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer and Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Barbenheimer, as fans have dubbed it, enjoying the biggest box office weekend since the pandemic and even soaring past big screen hits like Super Mario Brothers and Spider-Man. Gerwig made history as her cinematic reinvention of Mattel's most famous toy became the biggest debut ever for a film directed by a woman. But not everyone was delighted with this modern portrayal of a cultural icon. This movie is a flaming piece of dog piled atop an entire dumpster on fire, piled atop a landfill filled with dog It is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Conservative senators, congressmen, right-wing commentators have been slamming the movie, some going as far as burning Barbie dolls on YouTube for being, among other things, too woke, anti-men, and even, get this, Chinese propaganda. So why do Republicans hate Barbie? Is the outrage real or is it just another example of politics waging a culture war with one side trying to rally its base? I'm Jonathan Friedland, columnist at The Guardian, and this is Politics Weekly America. I was an enormous Barbie fan Um, up until I was, you know, about 10 or 11 years old. I had a number of Barbies. Uh... Amanda Marcotte is a senior politics writer at the progressive opinion website Salon and the author of the book Troll Nation, which looks at why the right fell in line with Donald Trump. Now, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie yet, do not worry. There won't be any major Barbie spoilers in this episode. My favourite was Barbie, Barbie and the Rockers Barbie. Barbie. She, it was the 80s, so she was like, and she was less of a rocker than more like a new wave Barbie. So she had like crimped hair and wore these like leather pink, you know, clothes. It was very rock and roll, but very new wave kind of 80s style. And did you manage to get there then ahead of the, the sort of feminist critique of Barbie? Like was this unironic Barbie fandom on your part? I've always like a lot of feminist felt conflicted about Barbie. I think it's always been a little complicated, especially for people my age. On one hand, yes, there's no doubt that Barbie has these unreachable body standards, literally by any human standard. On the other hand, there's also no doubt that in the 80s especially, Barbie was held out as this toy that showed girls that they could be whatever they wanted. Literally, the ads would be Girls can be anything they want, you know, astronauts, rock stars, anything, et cetera, et cetera. 
And so as an adult, you know, I don't have children, but I have nieces and I have never hesitated to buy them Barbie dolls because I feel like what's on offer is stuff that tells them that they can be whoever they want. I've bought them DJ Barbie. I've bought them, you know, business Barbie, whatever, things like that. That iteration of Barbie where she could do all these different things and there was different professional versions of Barbie, that was the second wave, wasn't it? Wasn't that in reaction to the initial criticism of the doll that it was, you know, a very traditional, limited view of women and what they could do? It really was. But it's surprising how quickly that happened because the Barbie came out, I think, in the 50s or 60s. And when the second wave of feminism happened, they really targeted Barbie. and, And the owners of Mattel were like, okay. And they they changed the doll fairly early. Like my aunt um, had, my aunt's only about seven years older than me. And she had a bunch of Barbies from the 70s that I would play with. And they were also, I think, you know, a little bit more liberated than that kind of 1950s ideal of femininity. So it moved on. All right. So look, now it's a movie. It is part of one half of the duo of two massive films of the summer, jointly dubbed Barbenheimer. If you'd had to guess in advance which one was going to become a cause celebre of the American right, I think most people would have put money on Oppenheimer, the story of the father of the nuclear bomb. The film is quite critical of the United States. It dives into some deep history. And yet, the one that's controversial is Barbie. What's happened? Right now, the American right is less interested in these kind of heady discussions about national and international politics and big moral questions about war and peace. And they're way, way more into identity politics and particularly into anti-feminism as both a a kind of way to get their existing base revved up and angry and also as a recruitment strategy for young men, which is like the only place they can have any growth at all is like young white men. And so stirring up a lot of resentment over girls having a good time seems like very obvious to me that that was what they were going to do. I'm genuinely surprised that they aren't lashing out at Taylor Swift for having this big concert series that has been so successful this year. Give them time uh, <laughs> is my response on that one. But it's an amazing, so interesting. So you'd have called it in advance. You'd have thought that in today's American right-wing politics, feminism is more central to the uh, the message than, you know, the creation of a nuclear bomb. Without giving away uh, any spoilers about the story, we don't want to do that. Let's get into some of, let's drill down into some of these criticisms that have been offered. And I think sort of leading the pack of of the anti-Barbie movement has been the conservative commentator uh, and sort of, you know, social media star Ben Shapiro. The actual argument the movie is making is that if women enjoy men, it's because they have been brainwashed by the patriarchy. They make this message explicit in just a few minutes in the film. And when I say a few minutes, I mean several years, because this film took years off my life. It is long, it is boring, and it's terrible. Who incredibly launched a 43-minute video uh, denouncing the film and culminating in a bit of a stunt. Why don't you tell us what, what the stunt was and what his argument is? Yeah, he set a bunch of Barbies and Ken's on fire. I really hope he purchased them instead of stole them from his children because 
it was a, a gross stunt and I would, I, all I could think was like, I feel terrible if, if those belong to an actual little girl <laughs> or a little boy, like boys like Barbies too. And also that they could have belonged. I mean, that's a waste of perfectly good functional toys now burnt to make a point. But what was the point he was making? He was angry that the movie had a feminist message, which he, of course, called anti-male, anti-man, anti-masculinity. And the way that they get immunity is by learning to hate the men. You got, that's the way that they have to learn to hate men. Okay, so Ken decides he's gonna- It's not, obviously. Like, there's no, this has always been a lie that the right trots out about feminists, that they're anti-male. But it's one that's extremely effective because a lot of men mistake having their privilege criticized with having their manhood criticized, <laughs> their gender identity, their, their, their very existence. And I think if you put any logic to it in the slightest bit, it falls apart. But I, I fully admit that a lot of people a lot of men are feeling threatened because they have defined their gender in terms of their privilege and their superiority over women, which is a, a lie and a, a fiction. And let's just talk about some of the specifics because he ranged beyond just, you know, the feminist grievance he had with the film or the or grievance with the film's feminism, rather. Uh, he thought the jokes were a little too risque, that they were a little sort of on the edge for a for an, a movie that's aimed at little girls he thought there was a so he had a bit of an issue with the casting of a black woman as president we get black female president barbie because this is, of course the greatest of all possible worlds so kamala harris the barbie version is is the president of the united states what, what more can you tell us about what was on his charge sheet yeah and obviously another thing that is driving them nuts is that one of the actors hired to play a barbie in the movie is trans and this has been turned into a you know, a claim that they're doing trans propaganda at children. Right. One of the Barbies is a trans Barbie. And this is treated totally normally, as though this is a female Barbie with a voice, again, deeper than my own. It's a little like the anti-Disney attack, right? Like, the American right has this whole narrative where certain brands they consider traditional and somehow belonging to them, including Mattel, Disney, when they adjust to the times, I think there's this like angry outrage from the right and they're not really kind of understanding why things are changing. It's not that they're woke or that Disney or Mattel is like trying to be progressive. It's that that's what young audiences want. If you want to sell Barbie dolls nowadays, you need to actually address the fact that young girls these days are not satisfied with being treated like second-class citizens. Young girls actually want to be treated as equals. Young girls live in a world where they're told that girls can do anything, and if the Barbie doesn't bend to that worldview, then they're not gonna buy Barbie dolls. And the same thing with Disney. And it's interesting because, of course, and we've talked about this on the podcast, Disney became and has been centrally political ever since uh, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida, presidential hopeful, still in second place behind Donald Trump, went to war against Disney in his state of um, Florida. They're obviously the home of Disney World, trying to strip them of a whole lot of uh, privileges they had within the state, saying he's going to you know, start running the territory they 
have previously run themselves. So Disney is definitely part of this now. It's Mattel. I mean, you know, Ben Shapiro didn't like um, the existence of an all-female Supreme Court uh, in <laughs> Barbie Land. That's part of the, part of the film. A long way from reality. So a reminder: this is very much a fantasy. But he's obviously not the only one doing this. Uh, enter the wife of Republican Congressman Matt Gates. Her name is Ginger. Just tell us about what she said about this movie and particularly why it's a surprise coming from her. What was interesting about her response was she was like a little bit more explicit about the fact that it felt like a sense of betrayal that Barbie is supposed to be, in her words, traditional and uphold, you know, traditional wife, traditional mother, which is just, you know, a code word for, again, second class citizen. And she claimed that she wasn't against Barbies, like having feminist Barbies, but there just also needs to be traditional Barbies in the mix, which is an incoherent thing because this isn't about personal choices necessarily. It's about what your rights and privileges as a human are. And also it's missing kind of the point of what Greta Gerwig is doing with the movie, which is, you know, setting up Barbie land as this fantastical matriarchy. that like is in opposed in opposition to the the real world that women live in and this isn't just about flattering the sensibilities of women who want to believe that it's okay to accept second class status in their their own communities it's it, it's just a completely art- different artistic project and it was a surprise coming from ginger gates because she'd actually turned up uh for the Uh, on the Barbie red carpet for the opening of the film alongside her husband. So people thought she was going to be supportive, but she had a very particular issue with Ryan Gosling, who plays Ken (laughs) in the film. Yeah, she said he was low T. I pointed out in my response that Barbies are made of silicone and plastic and they do not have estrogen, testosterone or any hormones, actually. You know, no adrenaline, no nothing. (laughs) Yeah, because she thought that that Ken, and, you know, this is all part of the gag of the film, but she thought that he was insufficiently, I suppose, yeah, driven with testosterone, lack of masculinity they were looking for in the film. But that's obviously part of the gag. I mean, you know, the, the slogan they're selling the film on, I think, is, you know, you know, she's Barbie, she's fabulous, he's just Ken. Yeah, and that's, I will say, does get to sort of what the objection conservatives have to the film is, because the fantasy Barbie land is replicating kind of the fantasy girlhood where before you know that you live in a sexist world that is often just oppressing women, girls can kind of play this game where women are the ones who get to do everything to be the star, to get all the ambition, to get all the jobs, and men just are the support system. And Obviously, conservatives don't want that mirror held up because they don't want to admit that's the world they're fighting for is where men do have all these dominant roles and women are, there might be some token women who get to have power, but by and large, women's job is to support men. And, and, you know, we said at the start that this is now where a lot of conservative politics is located in these battles over uh, you know, culture war issues and that national security, the kinds of that was, you know, used to be the sort of meat and drink for Republicans is no longer some one of their central preoccupations. Despite that, two Republican senators have seen in the film something which passed most viewers by, 
which relates to the United States' ongoing global competition with China. Now, just tell us what it was in the film that Senators Marsha Blackburn and Ted Cruz saw that they took great exception to. There's a map um, in the movie that has, I think, nine dashed lines. And this was taken as secretive Chinese propaganda. This is really designed for the eyes of the Chinese censors, and they're trying to kiss up to the Chinese Communist Party. Just to explain to people, there is a map (laughs) in the film which shows the nine-dash line, which China uses to assert its claim of control over the South China Sea. I mean, Cruz and Blackburn seriously suggesting this was dropped into the film... And I know the government of the Philippines have also objected to it, saying they're not they're going to sort of airbrush that bit out because that, that clashes with their view of the the region. I mean, is the suggestion seriously that, you know, Ted Cruz, is he seriously thinking this was done in order to advocate for China? I don't think Ted Cruz seriously thinks anything that he says. I think he likes to keep his base in a stirred up paranoid mindset so that they are giving him money, that they are all riled up to sort of support the GOP without actually asking hard questions about why they're doing this and and what they're getting out of it. It it is a symptom of how the Republican Party is increasingly relying on these fake culture war, these incidents, these conspiracy theories and just outright disinformation in order to sort of control their base voters and kind of keep them from having any kind of relationship to the real world that might make them start asking questions about what they're doing with their vote, what they're doing with their money. Just before we leave the cartoon, I should say, just in case anyone is uh, looking this up frantically, the map in question is not exactly a sort of accurate bit of cartography. It also depicts England as bordering Asia, and England has a crown on top. There's a whole lot of other things that people have um, picked up on uh, and objected to. Fox News host saying, why won't they let our little girls have anything uh, anymore? Your argument here is that this actually works to a larger Republican sort of approach to their constituency, which is to constantly sort of alienate them from and detach them from the majority of Americans, even to take something which is just an enjoyable summer movie and say, you can't enjoy this because somehow you are, as I think the word you use is alienation, that you're alienated from the rest of American life. Yeah, I think that's exactly the strategy. The the main reason they're going after the Barbie movie is it's a hit, right? As I point out in the piece, Greta Gerwig's previous smaller films, including Little Women, also have these feminist themes. And you did not see this like kind of national temper tantrum from Republicans. But Barbie is like a legitimate hit. It's a mainstream thing. And so when they do this kind of thing, they're trying to tell their base you are not part of the mainstream. You are an oppressed minority that this evil majority is 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 attacking. And it, it's a little bit like a cult, honestly, this, this idea that you separate your followers from other people so that they don't communicate with them, so they don't participate in their lives. And they just go further and further down this rabbit hole of paranoia. And their only source of information and relationship is through you. It's very disturbing. 
the counter argument to that that you might um, imagine somebody uh, on the right making would be, I think, as follows, which is, it's not us who are pushing these this constituency people away from the culture. Rather, that culture had moved away from that constituency of people. And this was a theme I heard a lot covering the 2016 campaign, where the Trump support was from people who, yes, didn't like the political establishment and the media, but they would often mention Hollywood and they would often say, supporters of Trump, they would say, you go to any movie now and people like me, the the people you're interviewing would say, you know, the white man from the middle, you know, middle of the country, we are either depicted as stupid or as the kind of villain. That, you know, and I remember somebody telling me that, you know, you go to a movie now, if it's especially like you take your kid to a movie, the minute a kind of middle-aged white guy appears, you know that guy is going to, in the end, be the baddie in the film. That was their sort of critique. Is it possible that the Ben Shapiro's of this world are playing to that idea that Hollywood, or a certain type of Hollywood, for a while has sort of disrespected the kind of people that Donald Trump and others are absolutely targeting? I mean, first of all, that's ridiculous. Look at the look at most movies like it's actually kind of like Indiana Jones. Like you can be an 80 year old white guy and you're still an action hero like that will never be available (laughs) to women. So, no, what's frustrating about this is is that argument is rooted in this idea that they are owed, that they are entitled, that pop culture should flatter them, that they should always be the center of the world, that their worldview should be the one that's dominant at all times. And that just doesn't, that's not fair. And it's not right. Like, okay, fine. There are certainly plenty of movies made for conservatives, but they're getting older. The audiences that Hollywood wants don't look at the world that way. Again, Barbie's not a conservative movie because if it was, they wouldn't have an audience. They want little girls. They want young women. Those young women aren't going to go to a movie that isn't about them. <laughs> and and that's just what these conservatives are mad at. They're mad at a movie being made and being popular that tells girls it is for them. Yeah, I, and I was struck by a line in your piece where you said that the the upshot of this might be that all it does is it succeeds in making that hypothetical sort of Trump voting Fox News viewer, you know, their kids and grandkids will want to come visit less often. You know, in other words, if you're raging against a a summer movie, you're getting detached, even not just from the rest of the culture, but even perhaps people in your own family. But I just wanted, before we talk about, you know, how, how this might play out even in politics, and obviously it is politicians who are leading this, and we've mentioned some of their names, are, are we, even in talking about this, in a way, proving to the likes of Ben Shapiro and Ted Cruz why this works as a tactic? Because there's you writing about it in Salon. Here you and I are talking about it on a Guardian podcast. It kind of works for them, doesn't it? They do somehow get attention when they you know, ride a cultural wave like this. Yeah, that's always the, and you know, my book is called Troll Nation for this reason. I'm fascinated by trolling as a political tactic. And that's really what this is. And it works because, yeah, that they trigger the liberals, they get people outraged, they, they, they get attention for it. And, you know, there's no small part of it, which is a lot of those MAGA conservatives are jealous and envious of younger or more mainstream or more liberal or more cosmopolitan or whatever people. And so they kind of want to get under your skin as a, an act of revenge in a lot of ways. It, it's a dark thing. 
And there is always a concern that you're playing into it when you do give them the attention. My answer to that is obviously ignoring them isn't making them go away. But what we can do is we can refuse to feed them the outrage that they're trying to generate, right? Instead of just being like, you're a sexist pig, how dare you burn Barbie? We can say, call out the game, which I do think we're doing here. We're, we're pointing out that this is a troll that is meant to generate this kind of response. You can kind of mock them and, and reframe this as what it is, which is pathetic. Let, let's pivot away, just specific, away from Barbie itself to the constituency that in a way has been turning out to Barbie in huge numbers, which is women and, and, and as voters. And one thing that's been really noticeable is the American landscape politically since the Dobbs decision, which overturned the Roe v. Wade constitutional protection of uh, the right to an abortion. Since then, in every electoral contest, broadly speaking, Democrats have and people who are pro-abortion rights have prevailed more or less. And uh, those who supported the Dobbs decision have found themselves on the losing side. I mean, that's a blanket generalization but in the midterm elections last november and in various sort of ballot initiatives famously in the state of kansas it does seem as if there has been a shift the agenda gap has been opened up moves like this obviously the barbie thing has got its own specific context but how do you see that playing out in the year ahead which obviously crucially uh, turns into a presidential uh, year in 2024 he's something shifting uh, in the politics that makes the gender gap sort of almost more permanent and that what we're seeing now with the sort of Barbie outrage is part of a kind of concession by the right that they or recognition by the right that they realize they are on the wrong side of that gender gap. Yes, I think that what we're seeing is that the Dobbs decision awakened a sleeping giant. One of the things that people really don't understand about the original Roe versus Wade decision is it wasn't just about abortion, though that is extremely important for women's health care. It was also a signal to women across the country that we own our bodies. And so women understood the symbolism of taking that away. And women understand the symbolism of setting Barbies on fire and women understand all these kinds of things, we're not dumb. Everybody has a breaking point, right? And I think a lot of women hit their breaking point because it's not, at the end of the day, one of the most profoundly important ideas in American politics is the concept of fairness. People will, they just want things to be fair and it's not fair. Women are just trying to work hard. They're just trying to live their lives. And to just take away this one basic right, it just registers as peop to people as not fair. What does the Barbie row uh, and the Barbie wars that are currently being fought tell us about 2024? I, in two areas, I mean, one, do you think that we are going to be looking at a, a, a sort of widest ever gender gap in Republican and Democratic voting in 2024? And second, do you think that the kinds of issues that have been stirred up with this spat about Barbie are going to feature in the 2024 campaign? I'm thinking, obviously, of feminism and uh, the kind of women's rights issues that we've talked about, but also the trans issue, which you mentioned, which comes up in this film because of the inclusion of a trans actor. Is this going to be, do you think, the the sort of language, the idiom of the campaign in 2024? 
Um, I think as much as Joe Biden and the Democrats don't want it to be, unfortunately, it will be. I, I, they d- Let me correct that. They do want it to be about abortion. I think that they would rather these culture war issues still be second banana to economic issues. But one of the things about the economy improving, which it, it definitely is, is that makes it kind of boring and it creates even more of a vacuum for these culture war issues to sort of fill in. And also, there's a lot of reasons to think that, like Ben Shapiro, Fox News, places like that, their profit model is built on on these kind of faux outrages, these somewhat faked culture war like tantrums. They they make a lot of money by throwing huge, you know, phony fits. That is going to have the effect of keeping the voting base of Democrats angry, annoyed, and ready to sort of donate and vote to just make these people go away. Amanda, we always do ask our guests um, a what else question, something completely different. This is a world away from Barbie land. Um, <laughs> Hunter Biden, the son of the president, he we reported on the podcast a few weeks back that there had been a plea a deal arranged which would see him not go to prison uh, over a couple of charges. Instead, that deal fell apart on Wednesday when he ended up having to plead not guilty to tax charges after a federal judge in Delaware said that she would need more time to look over the deal that had been struck between Hunter Biden and federal prosecutors, which would have allowed him to plead guilty but avoid um, a felony gun charge. What do you make of that? That the deal had been done, it was going to keep Biden out of jail and in a way keep the story out of the news as we go into presidential election year. And that deal unexpectedly has fallen apart. What is frustrating to me is that this isn't a story. What Donald Trump does as a crime is a story. What Rudy Giuliani does as a crime is a story because those people are trying to get the reins of government. They're trying to get power. If Joe Biden does something illegal, that's a story. But the right has tried to make Hunter Biden a story in order to hurt Joe Biden. And and I really wish that the, the fact that there's some kind of court drama in here, which is catnip to a lot of the press, was balanced against the question of does this matter? And the answer is no, no, no. And again, no. Uh, well, that's a good and clear answer. We've gone from Barbie Land to Biden and potentially back again. Uh, people will be seeing that movie. You've given us a huge amount to think about. Uh, Amanda Marcotte, thanks so much for joining me on Politics Weekly America. Thanks for having me. And that is all from me for this week. Do make sure to listen in next week for a Politics Weekly America special. And it really is special. As the civil rights activist, the Reverend Al Sharpton, joins me to talk about 60 years since the 1963 March on Washington, when Martin Luther King Jr. gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. We speak about why Al Sharpton believes that address has been abused by some on the right, why he's still fighting for police reform, and how the godfather of soul, James Brown, was so influential on Al Sharpton's life, he even gave him his name. It's a hugely interesting conversation, and I'm very much looking forward to you hearing it. In the meantime, do listen in to Thursday's episode of Politics Weekly UK. The former MP and current member of the House of Lords, Zach Goldsmith, speaks to John Harris about Rishi Sunak's green policies, 
and how Labour should respond. So do search for that wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, it's goodbye. The producer is Daniel Stevens. The executive producer is Maz Ebtahaj. I'm Jonathan Friedland. Thanks, as always, for listening. This is The Guardian. Thank you.